Today we're going to take a look at the Lord's Supper as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. And in this journey, it's important that we understand something. We need to get it right. Now, I'm not talking about the order of the service. I'm not talking about the method, methods as such. But today we're going to try to learn something very important. We're going to try to learn how not to observe the Lord's Supper. Okay? We're going to try to figure out what it means to do it right. Daryl Bell is a pastor of a non-denominational evangelical church. And he shared a story of Roger Rose, a man he knew. When Mr. Rose was a boy more than 60 years before, his younger brother was fatally injured in a, a road accident. A dirt road ran in front of their home, and very rarely was there ever a car on that road. But one day, as his brother was crossing on his bike, a car came barreling over the hill and killed the young boy. Mr. Rose said, Later when my dad picked up the mangled, twisted bike, I heard him sob out loud for the first time in my life. He carried it to the barn and placed it in a spot we seldom used. Father's terrible sorrow eased with the passing of time, but for many years, whenever he saw the bike, tears would begin streaming down his face. Since then, I have often prayed, Lord, keep the memory of your death that fresh in me. Every time I partake of your memorial supper, let my heart be stirred as if it occurred only yesterday. Never let the communion service become a mere formality, but always a tender and touching experience. As Baptists, we typically observe the Lord's Supper once a quarter. And that's a trend that goes back for a very long time. among most Baptists who are afraid that a weekly observance of the ordinance might lead it to become overly familiar, that you would lose sense of the specialness, that it would become just a formality. Now, I can't say I'm totally certain that we've accomplished the task of making certain it never becomes a formality. The disciples expected the Passover meal they were about to have uh, with Jesus they thought it was going to follow a ritual that went back thousands of years into their history. They were about to be shocked because Christ was going to take the Passover meal and forever change its meaning and significance for followers of the way. So, we're going to look at a portion of Luke's text describing the, the supper tonight, today. And I'm going to ask you to stand as so we take a look at Luke 22, 14 through 27. I want you to listen carefully to its words and let them reach into your hearts. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, 
saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who serves like the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at that table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Folks, Luke's record of the Lord's Supper revealed some problems among the disciples. The Passover meal itself should have been significant enough for them to put aside whatever was distracting them. But now they're about to partake of a meal with a greater significance for them. And we need to learn from our brothers' mistakes that gathered, those that gathered that evening. We must take great care that our hearts are not distracted when we observe this ordinance. And I believe that a focused and meaningful observance of the Lord is possible if we guard our hearts against certain diversions, things that would grab our attention. And so we're going to take a look at those diversions that we need to avoid in order for this to be a meaningful day. We begin with an observation. We must not be diverted from seeing the importance of the supper. We've got to understand how important this ordinance given by Christ is. You see, when we look at these men, somehow, as they have gathered together, and we're looking at what's happening, When you read carefully, somehow it seems the disciples did not catch the urgency in Jesus' words. As we look at what transpires, a lot of things were going on they were not prepared for. Jesus, for example, washed their feet. I'm pretty sure all of you would be quite surprised if I brought out a basin right now. They didn't expect it. And Peter, I've always suspected... That more than Peter felt this way, but Peter was the guy who always spoke what was on his mind. You won't wash my feet. During the meal, Jesus gave them the bread and the cup new meaning. And that may have been confusing to them. When he begins by saying, I won't drink of this, I won't have this meal until it's fulfilled in the kingdom, I won't drink of this cup. It's very possible it's been noted these men already believed Jesus was about to launch his kingdom. They kept believing he was going to announce, I am Messiah. So maybe they were just thinking, this is just a short delay. In just a few days, maybe tomorrow, he's going to say, I'm the king. And so, and they got distracted. Then he said, one of you here will betray me. That had to be one of the most shocking things of all. And so, 
some of the Gospels point out they're, they're asking, am I the one? But Luke points out they're also asking each other, who do you think it is? And all of a sudden, all they can think about is this. And they missed something. Jesus began the supper with this statement. I have eagerly awaited to have this Passover with you. Now we know that this was his last Passover with them. At that moment, they don't get it. And I think their brains went into overload. I think they were just so confused by everything that's being said, everything that's being done, that they just couldn't grasp. He's saying, this is a special Passover I've been waiting to share for you. And I'll tell you how I come to that conclusion in just a few minutes. Ask you to be a little bit patient. But they just weren't getting it. They didn't understand that this Passover was significant. Now my warning to us. Even when observing this ordinance quarterly, we can still lose sight of its importance. Even though we've left it to a four times a year, and some Baptists observe it twice a year. We can still let it slip into that act of just a mere ritual, if we're not careful. Think about it. Uh, we have consciously made a decision to have this less frequent observation so that formality, uh, familiarity will not breed contempt. In about 40 years out of a ministry of 44, I have made it a practice suggested by a beloved professor many decades ago to focus the entire service on the Lord's Supper. Even with that, I know that our hearts can wander. Our attention spans can shift to other things. We start thinking about what's going on in our lives right now, the different problems and struggles. We start wondering, what about tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen with the tests I'm about to have? All those kind of things can cause our minds to wander. Because as human beings, distractions can come far too easily. I've quit trying to, to look at scientific discussions about how short our attention spans are now because I'm getting more and more depressed. You remember when they used to say a 30-second commercial was, uh, a public announcement was just the right, and now 30 seconds, too long. Folks, we need a clear sense of entering a special moment of obedience as we partake of the supper. It's obedience because Christ commanded this ordinance. Christ is the one who said, whenever you do this, you'll remember what happened. And every time we take this ordinance, we need to consciously ask God to direct our thoughts. To rekindle our memory of what Christ has done for us. We need to stay focused, for it is at this table, a very special communion takes place between us and our Christ. Now, I'm not trying to say there is a magical change in the elements here. I believe this is a symbolic act. But I also believe that at this moment in time, 
We are opening our hearts up to remember Christ. We are paying a special attention to His great love and His sacrifice. Drawing ourselves to love Him more. And it's supposed to be a time of communion between us. I like that we had songs about service today. Because the passing of the elements is an act of service. And we are bound together as the body. So we need to be asking God Almighty, our Lord, help us remember what this is about, how important it is, and and how we need to obey in a meaningful way. We must not be diverted from its importance. Then we must not be diverted from embracing the supper's full meaning. We can't allow the meaning to escape us. And indeed that can happen when you look at the disciples. Folks, let's be honest. They have been fighting the idea of Jesus' death from the moment he started mentioning it. And now that he's saying, this is my body, this is my blood given for you, they don't want to hear it. He had told them at one point, the Son of Man has come to give His life a ransom for many. And He talks about what's going to happen. And the disciples, particularly Peter, keep making boasts. We won't let it. We won't let them take you, Jesus. And they just didn't understand. That's why I came. I didn't come to be served. I came to give my life for all who would receive the grace But in their minds, they're still wrapped up in the Jewish understanding of Messiah. He was supposed to set up the kingdom. He was supposed to drive Rome away from the country. He was supposed to defeat all other so-called conquerors of the day. So all of a sudden, I'm giving my body, I'm giving my blood, and one of you is going to betray me. But that's not all. As you look at the the combined gospel stories of the Lord's Supper, we also know that he let them know, and every one of you will abandon me. Peter, of course, said, not me. Everybody else may run away, but I won't. He denied the Lord three times. It was hard for them to grasp because they just didn't want that message. They didn't want to believe the Lord they served was somehow going to be brutally killed. And if we do not pay careful attention, the Lord's Supper can become a mere ritual. It can devolve into something we do without giving much thought of it. We never want the Lord's Supper, we never want this act of communion to devolve into eating a stale piece of bread and drinking a sip of grape juice. So we need to vividly remember what this all means. And not just the fact that Jesus died, what does this mean about us? Everybody in this room, everybody listening and watching on, online, every child of God that has ever walked this earth We were all among the lost of this world. We were sinners at war with God and often with each other. 
The Bible talks about God reconciling us to him, not reconciling him to us. He's not the one at war. We were. And the Son of Man came to be our ransom. The Son of Man, God came to give his life to pay the price that we could be saved. He came to give us life, he said. And he came to give it more abundantly. Folks, sometimes we think, oh, well, God, Jesus just wants to bless our lives with all sorts. Folks, do you realize when he said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, he meant that's going to cost my life. It's not just saying, oh, I want to bless you really good. He's saying, I'm going to give myself so that you can have life. And he came to make us one. Folks, we are family now. And it doesn't matter if where we're part of this world to Grace Baptist over in the Philippines, to the church down the road. Uh, every Bible-believing folk who have accepted and received the good grace and faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're part of a family. And we are meant to be one, unified in faith, Unified in purpose, unified in ministry, and that's what this local body is supposed to be an expression of. So it teaches us, yes, he died, but it teaches us we are the reason. So each time we absorb the ordinance, we need to look at all that it has to teach us. So we remember who we are and who He is to us. But what does it further have to teach us? Well, how about gratitude? When I take of the Lord's Supper, there's always a somber element in it because I remember my sin put Him on that cross. But every time I take the Supper, there is such a great joy. There is such a great gratitude. A more liturgical name for the the supper is called the Eucharist. We don't use it, but it's a good word. It means thanksgiving. This is a time of gratitude that should shape everything about our lives. How about commitment? He gave His all for us and He calls for us to give our all to Him. That We are to stand firmly committed to the faith that has been handed down to us throughout the centuries. How about to tell the world around us we are followers of Christ and we want to proclaim to you the way of salvation. You see, Paul said every time we take of this element, every time we do this, we are proclaiming the death of Christ till He comes. Folks, it's got to be more than reminding each other that he died. That's what we're doing. But we need to remember that we take that message outside to the people who don't know him yet. So I need to pay attention. Because the Lord's Supper is one of the most teaching, important teaching moments we will ever have in our lives. Remembering what he's done and teaching us what should be the results in our lives. 
And then finally, the part of it that is really painful. We must not be diverted by problems within the fellowship. I told you the disciples are very distracted. Their minds are so filled with everything Jesus is telling them, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to grasp it, to put it together. There's a disconnect between everything he's told them about their death and now one of you is going to betray me and you're all going to be... All of these things are going on and they're having a problem staying focused. And I told you I was going to tell you how I come to that conclusion. Well, here it is, folks. The key element in understanding that the disciples really were distracted can be found in their argument. William Hendrickson was a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church. He wrote an excellent commentary series, um, the New Testament Commentary, uh, published by Baker Bookhouse. Wonderful book, books, many volumes long. And he, he sets, a, sets a stage for us. Picture the scene. Here was Jesus about to lay down his life for these men, centering his attention on their needs loving them very tenderly and intensively. For proof that this was indeed the situation, that very night in John 13, as we're going into this time, John 13, 1 says, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's why he's telling them these things. You need to be prepared. And in the 17th chapter of John, we have the incredible, beautiful, high priestly prayer of Christ. And he's telling the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. I'm asking you to sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. And I'm asking that you make them one. He loved them and he wanted them to be bound together. And now, here they are, quarreling. Who's the greatest? You know what really makes this bad? It's bad under any circumstance. You know what really makes this moment, I like Hendrickson's word, reprehensible? Already, even in the book of Luke, in Luke 9, 46-48, they already had this argument. And Jesus already has told them, you don't understand what it means to be great. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to become like the least. You need to become like the least important person there is and serve. He's already corrected them. But at that moment, they've forgotten everything so quickly. The thing is, they had just moved. They just moved from denying they would betray him to arguing which is the greatest again. The Bidi Anya Bewili was who was converted from Islam. Uh, he has he is now a pastor in Washington D.C. He's pastored churches in North Carolina even in the Cayman Islands. 
he wrote about Jesus' response. I've told you on many occasions I've imagined Jesus just shaking his head. Here, I'm absolutely amazed at his gentleness. The BD wrote, the Lord's response was so gracious. He wants the disciples to think rightly about the Christian life. So Jesus boils kingdom life down to two things, service and solidarity. Jesus makes it clear that life and leadership in God's kingdom does not look like life and leadership in the sinful world. His followers are not to lead like Gentile believers who lord it over them. Uh, Gentile rules over one another uh, in a power-hungry, power-grabbing pride. They call themselves benefactors. And some of these benefactors were the worst people ever to treat those under them. The BD continues, they oppress others, try to convince others that it's for their good. But Jesus said, it is not to be like that among you. In the kingdom of heaven, the Lord himself is the only Lord. And even he does not rule harshly and lord it over others. Instead, Jesus, now think about this. Jesus asked them a question that, that immediately they know the answer to. Who's the most important at a banquet? The one who sits at the table or the one who's serving? Everyone knows the one who's at the table. That's the important person. And Jesus says, but I am as one among you who serves. And then the beady wrote, if our Lord were at a banquet, he would not sit at the chief place at the table and wait for others to serve him. He would rather dress in a servant's uniform and attend to all the other guests. He's the Lord of the table, but he's the kind of Lord who wraps a towel around his waist and washes the feet of others. In the kingdom of God, the greatest people are the greatest servants. In a world full of people who would argue for their own greatness based on age, class, privilege, race, gender, education, and almost anything else, the Lord shines bright as the one who forsakes all of those prejudices and gives his life for others. The Lord turns the entire world upside down with his emphasis on service. And at that moment, they have forgotten everything. Unresolved disunity in the body of Christ can negate the true observance of this ordinance. If we are harboring anger toward a brother or sister. And we've held on to that anger. We have refused to offer forgiveness. We've refused to let go. When we harbor that anger, we nullify what is meant to be happening in our hearts at this service. Because this is supposed to be a service of love and acceptance and friendship. If we have designs to be the greatest... I'll serve if it's an important place that I get a lot of attention. We will forget our call to be servants. And if we allow the things of this world, the way the world responds, the way the world acts, the way the world makes its decisions, if we allow that worldview to creep in and taint the relationships in our family of God here, we need to repent.
we need to understand. This is why Paul had to tell the church at Corinth, you're not observing the supper because you don't discern the body. And he was talking about the church. You aren't paying attention to one another. You're all after what you want and what you want alone. So what does this mean for us? We must put aside, put issues of personal pride aside as we come to the table of the Lord. This is the reason for self-examination. Not to determine, am I perfect? Because, folks, if only perfect people could do this, none of us, we might as well go home. We look to see, are we where we need to be? And if we're not, we give ourselves over to the Lord. Our forefathers declared, all men are created equal. God in heaven has declared that at the foot of the cross, we are all truly equal. Sinners in desperate need of a Savior. It doesn't matter how good you are morally. It doesn't matter how horrible you are ethically. When we come to the Lord, we are all sinners needing grace. Now in just a moment, we will be turning our hearts to looking inward. And I'm asking you, please, do not let this be a ritual of bowing your heads and waiting till the stuff begins. Waiting till we get it through. I'm asking you, to take a look at your heart, I'm asking you to have the courage to pray David's prayer. In Psalm 139, after he has already said, God, you know everything there is to know about me. You know, when I get up, when I lie down, you even know my words before I speak them. At the end of that beautiful psalm, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. So right now, we want to do that. Because we do not want this ordinance to mean nothing. We want to realize again there's an urgency and importance of observing this meal. That it is a meal that reminds us not only of what Christ did for us, but why He did it and why we need it. And it is a meal that reminds us we need to be bound together.